Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Virtual Coffee Break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. My name is Martin Mangual, Dairy Extension Educator in the west side of the state of Michigan. Today's episode will feature 4-H Educator Phil Cates and Dr. Kim Cassida, an Assistant Professor and Extension Specialist from Michigan State University. They will spend time discussing the 4-H technology of reduced lignin alfalfa. What's the research? What is the expected on-farm impact or agronomic impact of this technology? I can't wait to find out. So Phil, let's get us started. Hello everyone, my name is Phil Cates and today for our podcast I have Dr. Kim Cassida with us. She is our forage agronomist and specialist based at MSU in East Lansing. And so as we get started, we're going to talk a little bit about Harv Extra or reduced lignin alfalfa. As we get started, Kim, I'd like to uh, ask you, can you give us just a little bit of background about yourself, uh, what your role is within Extension? Hi, everyone. I'm glad to be here with you today. My Extension role is as Forage and Cover Crop Specialist, and that makes me a resource person for everybody in the state on those topics. Um, As part of my appointment, I also do some research, and I teach the forage management class, and I am the overseer for the forage variety testing in Michigan. So as we get started talking about Harvextra, Kim, give us a little background on the whys, whens, where it was developed, and just some information to help our listeners. Uh, the why of this is is to help mitigate the classic dilemma of yield versus quality, which is something we face with all of our perennial forages, alfalfa grass, clovers, all of them, which is that as yield goes up, quality goes down. And this is just related to the way the plant grows. As it becomes more mature, the a proportion of cell wall versus cell content increases. And a primary constituent of the cell wall is lignin, which is unfortunately completely indigestible to our animals. Um, Lignin and alfalfa is typically only about seven to eight percent of the dry matter at typical harvest maturity, which doesn't sound like that much, but that is enough to seriously reduce our digestibility of the forage because the lignin itself becomes, it wraps around the more digestible part of the cell wall and actually physically interferes with the ability of the rumen microbes to digest it. So a little bit of reduction in lignin can be a very good thing. So around the turn of the century, the Consortium for Alfalfa Improvement started working on this idea of using genetic engineering to reduce the amount of lignin in the plant. That consortium consisted of Forge Genetics International, the Samuel Roberts Noble Foundation in Oklahoma, uh, and the uh, Dairy Forage Research Lab run by USDA in Wisconsin. Uh, Their idea uh, was even though we'd use conventional breeding in the past to try and improve the quality of alfalfa, that's a very slow process. Uh, And the ability to use genetic engineering gives us a way to do it faster. And they, uh, through their collaboration, were able to succeed in knocking out a key gene for lignin synthesis that's present in alfalfa. So this is still regulated as a GMO, but the The key thing to understand with it is they did not add anything new to the alfalfa. What they actually did was turn off a gene that was already there so that it's not making as much lignin. And that's been successful at at reducing the amount of lignin in the plant by about 8% 
um, which doesn't sound like a very much of a reduction, but it is enough to improve our di our NDF digestibility uh, by five to eight percent, and so that can be a significant improvement um, theoretically in our forage quality going into our rations. Um, the seed was first uh, a little bit of seed was on the market in 2015. Um, more widespread seed availability starting in 2016. FGI owns the uh, license to this particular trait, which would be on the seed label as HVX. And they have sold the right to use it to the other alfalfa companies. So that as of now, there are many HVX varieties that are out there on the market. So Kim, talk a little bit about the yield of these alfalfas. How are these varieties yielding? And tell us a little bit more about the variety itself as a GMO. What else does that entail? Well, just uh, talking about the yield uh, in general, uh, Michigan State has been involved with several large multi-state studies uh, looking at how these uh, new varieties perform over uh, many environments. Probably the, the biggest one is the one called the six-state study, which was Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Kansas, and California. And what we are finding, if you look at it across a, the wide number of environments, typically the yield is similar. And the quality is, I won't say always better, because when you look at it over every cutting in every place, you, you're going to be able to find places where there wasn't much difference. But for the most part, you're going to see that improvement in having less lignin, less NDF, and more digestible fiber in these HVX varieties across the board. Yield-wise, where that comes in, some of the early, early varieties we were seeing, there was worry that there was going to be less yield in the Harvextra varieties. But what we actually see across the board in the research is that there's not very much difference, particularly if you start looking at harvest schedules where you could uh, wait a little bit longer before you harvest the Harvextra varieties. So Kim, that ties a little bit into our our discussion about GMOs and Harvextra is considered a, a, a GMO because it still has the Roundup Ready gene. Is that right? Well, the Harvextra trait itself is also considered a GMO. So this product has two GMO traits in it, the Roundup Ready and the Harvextra. One of the things that you agree to when you buy a GMO alfalfa is a stewardship agreement that is aimed at preventing seed, viable seed from escaping into the environment and being able to cross with conventional alfalfas because that obviously creates a problem for people who are trying to grow things like organic alfalfa or things where they really don't want that trait in there. Also, we really don't want the Roundup Ready trait to escape and, and get into general alfalfa. That stewardship agreement says that you will agree to cut this alfalfa before it reaches 50% bloom in Michigan. The actual criteria is different from state to state, but in Michigan, the criteria is 50% bloom. And so where that can become a little bit challenging is that we've found in some of our extended harvest interval trials here in Michigan that when you're doing midsummer cuttings and the weather is dry and hot and you're not irrigating, um, you'll see accelerated development of flowering in these varieties, or any, I mean any variety, it's not unique to these ones. And we have seen it get to 50% bloom before we were ready to harvest it. 
So you, in those cases, you just have to be ready to go out there and get it maybe a little bit earlier than you wanted to, and you may not be able to take advantage of that full extended harvest interval. Kim, as you talk about the strategies for this new technology, alfalfa, uh, what are the strategies that uh, we've been looking at at MSU and that the farmers have been looking at uh, across the Midwest and where this technology is available? There's basically two different strategies that you can look at for managing this new alfalfa. One is that you keep your usual harvest schedule the same way you've always done it, and you get higher quality. And it appears with some of the newer varieties that are coming out, they're really helping with the yield, and the yield should be equivalent with higher quality. Obviously, this is attractive to people uh, feeding to dairy cattle. The other plus with that is that you do get a little bit of weather insurance because you do have that ability if you have bad weather on your normal cutting schedule that you could delay cutting a little bit and you're not going to take as big a hit on the quality as you would have with a conventional alfalfa. Now, I do want to say one thing about yield, though. I mean, we're looking at this from our research trials, which have been done with a fairly limited selection of varieties. We don't have any yield data on a lot of the Harvextra varieties that are out there being sold in Michigan because they haven't been entered in our public variety test. I'll just put that. I think that they're probably fine, um, but we don't really know <laughs> just because we don't have that. Now, the second strategy is that you can extend your harvest schedule over what you would normally do with a conventional alfalfa. and you can pretty consistently extend it five to 10 days, which most of the time you won't have a problem with that 50% bloom thing. And you will have it continue to increase in yield as it's becoming more mature. And when you take it at that later date, you're going to have a similar quality to what you would have had with a conventional alfalfa that was cut on a shorter schedule. Uh, that's the target that we're trying to get to. So Kim, the schedule that most farmers that are harvesting alfalfa for dairy are usually between a 26 and a 30 day cutting schedule. Yep. So you're saying that this would fit right into that schedule? Yes. If you could keep that schedule, you'd do fine. I mean, most of our research, our, our tightest schedule is to do it on a 28 day schedule. We had one trial here in Michigan where we kept that up for four years. And we actually, you'd think that that would have been a little hard on our alfalfa, but at the end of four years, it was still chugging along. But that's one of the ideas behind this is that if you went with the extended harvest schedule five to 10 days longer, you're going to end up losing a cutting over the years because you're going to run out of time. And the idea is that for your annual yield, you would have um, similar yield, similar quality to a conventional alfalfa that was cut more times. Um, and you don't have one cutting. It basically eliminates one cutting per year, which might save you costs because now you don't have equipment costs and labor costs and all the things that you had to have to get out there and get a cutting done. Uh, and the idea is that that might help with persistence of alfalfa uh, in some cases. So as we think about the things that you talked about, the reduced cutting three times versus maybe four cuts, that would reduce the amount of compaction maybe on the ground mm -hmm. and, yep. and reduce our our stand losses that we see during the winter mm -hmm. time. Is that possible? 
that is theoretically what could be happening. Anything that reduces your traffic would theoretically be a good thing. You know, those kinds of trials are hard to simulate as a research trial. So that's where we'd like to hear from farmers who have been growing this and see what they have observed in terms of whether they're getting um, better persistence on these varieties or not. They've only been really on the market for four years. So that's the key. Nobody has any that's older than four years. So we can't really speak to, are they going to last five years or six years or 10 years? We don't know yet. I hear you say the theoretical and, and a lot of hope and we don't know yet. So that leads me into my next question about uh, some of the research that's currently being done to look at this technology. Um, what kind of trials have been done and, and what kind of trials need to be done in the future? Well, we have um, several trials have been published across the country looking at agronomic impact of harvest intervals in different varieties. Mission State's been involved in some of those, as I said. We have two more that are underway right now that will um, be published probably next year that will uh, give a little bit more information on that. But what we really, really need is feeding trials because we're growing this alfalfa to feed dairy cows. And to me, it's just one of the notable gaps is that we do not yet have a published, independently run, replicated feeding trial. Now, I've heard of people around the country that have done this, but they had, the results aren't available yet. Um, FGI itself has done some farm demonstration trials, which look promising, but we're always a little bit skeptical until we actually see that replicated trial that was done under controlled conditions to compare how cows do on this product versus conventional alfalfa. And we don't have it yet. That's my sticking point of, you know, I, I can't be a true believer on this product until I see that. <laughs> we know it does agronomically what we expected it to do. But the bottom line is, what does it do when you feed it to a cow? Is that some future research for, for us as a university in the future? Well, animal research is very expensive. Um, and I believe we do have a feeding trial that I've heard talked about here that may be happening at MSU in the future. We'll see. Kim, uh, we have talked a little bit about uh, some of the limitations that Harvextra has as an alfalfa, uh, one being a cutting schedule. And I'm going to ask you about effective fiber. Uh, if you lose a little bit of fiber, is that a problem or is it not a problem when you feed dairy cattle uh, alfalfa along with their corn silage rations? Well, that relays into what I was just saying about the actual feeding trials are badly needed because that is one of the things that we speculate. If you feed this alfalfa instead of a conventional alfalfa, you're going to probably have to make some adjustments to your ration for ruminally effective fiber. That's where if you're feeding extra alfalfa, you need to work very closely with your nutritionist and make sure that they understand that they can't just expect that this is going to test the same way as conventional alfalfa. They need to look at the numbers and, and they may need to make some adjustments in the ration to make sure that the cows will be doing all right. So theoretically, when we think about fiber and that dilemma between quality and yield, if we have higher quality, we should be able to get higher milk yields as well, right? Theoretically, that is the idea. Because the key thing about quality is digestibility. When you have a more digestible feed, the animal is able to get more energy out of it per unit of feed fed, 
And since dairy cattle are usually limited how much they can eat because of gut fill, um, any time that you can make what they eat more digestible, you are improving their ability to convert energy into milk. When we think about all those things wrapped together, it really comes into the economics of using Harvextra and with milk and with animals. And I, I hear you saying that it's very difficult to try and analyze that because every farm really has different ways that they put things together. Wouldn't you say that's true? I would. Um, and one of the key things that's been a question with the Harvextra is because the seed is more expensive with that double technology fee, I always urge farmers to look at it very carefully in the context of their own financial situation. Um, and with that said, I mean, often through various incentives given by the seed companies, you may not end up paying the full technology fee, um, which certainly could play into a decision of whether or not to grow this product. We've done financial comparisons which indicate that it is possible to still make money even though you pay more for the seed. The overall seed cost in the stand of alfalfa is a very small proportion of your long-term cost of production for an alfalfa stand. But it's really important to look at all of your own particular charges in order to really assess that and not just assume that it's going to work. So based on all the things that you've seen with Harvextra, uh, from a research standpoint, you have some questions to answer. Let's talk a little bit about the farmers. How have they accepted Harvextra and the use of this new technology and incorporating it into their uh, farms and, and plans of work? Well, I think here in Michigan, the uh, acceptance has been a little bit slower than some other parts of the country. Out in the western part of the USA, where uh, a lot of hay is grown, they're really going for this technology because if you're selling hay, <laughs> it makes sense because this is going to change the uh, relative forage quality or relative feed value that your pricing is based on. If you are growing hay for yourself to feed it, I think that's what most people here in Michigan are doing. And maybe that makes people think twice about that cost factor. And I think that gets back to where A, you know, we need some dairy feeding trials so that they really know how to relate that extra cost of production to what they're going to see in the milk tank. So hopefully we'll be seeing that data before too long and be able to have a better answer for people. M alfalfa is one of the primary things for, for every dairy herd that I work with and have seen in Michigan. Is alfalfa going to continue to play a, a huge role in forages in Michigan for dairies, do you believe? Well, I think there's always going to be a place for alfalfa. It has other advantages besides just being good feed in, in terms of being good for your overall crop rotation and very good for your soil. So I think it has a place just based on that. There's a lot of attention being paid right now to improving alfalfa varieties to help improve some of the yield drag that we've seen in the past and, and figure out how to make it more competitive in relationship to corn silage and some of the other alternatives that people have. But it's definitely still a very good option in a dairy ration. Well, thanks for your time, Kim. We really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you. We would like to thank Phil and Dr. Cassida for today's discussion. We will definitely need to provide an update to our listeners if those feeding trials get underway. 
We will be sure to invite Dr. Cassida to our podcast once again for that update. Join us next week when I will spend some time with Don Martell discussing multiple aspects of feed management. So please join us then. <laughs>